and welcome back to the Martial Arts Mania Podcast. I'm AJ. And I'm Gavin. Oh, I like that. I like that accent today. It's appropriate for our episode. Uh, very villainous, if you will. Anywho, how are you today, my friend? The rain in Spain stays mainly on the plane. Oh, that is so many uh, meanings within that perfect choice. You have been waiting to say that probably for like three or four days. Uh, probably. Yeah. Or, or, or maybe since we saw whatever we are going to talk about today a couple years ago. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, awesome. I love it. But anyways, how are you today? Good, sir. I'm, do- I'm doing quite well. How about you? I'm great. I can't complain. Everybody knows Friday afternoon's like my favorite time of the week. Uh, everybody's working for the weekend. So I'm all done, aside from a massive amount of homework I have to turn in by Sunday night per usual. But uh, <laughs> yeah, no good. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. Training, 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 loving it. I actually uh, drove down. I haven't posted on social media yet, by the, but by the time this episode comes out, I will have. Uh, very last second, I had some awesome individuals reach out to me this past weekend. Uh, Mr. Frank Jang and uh, action star extraordinaire Michael Worth. I should say action star extraordinaire slash filmmaker slash producer slash writer slash Bruceploitation expert Michael Worth. And uh, they needed uh my help uh getting uh our sensei peter sugarfoot cunningham uh over to uh a studio pretty much to shoot a little bit for uh an upcoming documentary that'll be part of a massive awesome blu-ray set uh really can't say much more than that but so very last second i made a one-day trip down to los angeles on monday uh Drove So first thing, woke up 5 a.m., went to the gym, <laughs> then drove down to Santa Clarita where uh, Sensei teaches on uh, Monday mornings. Got to train at the MMA gym that he uh, coaches at. So that was awesome. Got some great training in. Drove him down to downtown Los Angeles uh, where uh, we got to meet up with uh, Mr. Michael Worth and uh, shoot a PD segment, uh, which was awesome. He did incredible per usual because it's our sensei, and he's uh, very, he comes alive as soon as he's in front of the camera. Then I drove him all the way back to Santa Clarita for the evening class, then drove myself all the way did, back to the Did Fresno you take area. the evening class as well? No, I did okay. not because I had to get back because the next day uh, was Valentine's Day. And, you know, I didn't want to miss Valentine's Day of with course my not. babe. But uh, I did nine hours of driving in one day. So, for me to get from where I live to where the the gym is, if I was to leave at like five in the morning, it'd be like two and a half hours with no traffic. Mm-hmm. With traffic, it's like 2.45 or like in the afternoon. So st- not terribly bad. What took forever was Santa Clarita to downtown LA took exactly, this is an exaggeration, <laughs> two hours. So let, let's put this in perspective for our listeners. From where you left to the gym, how many miles is that? Oh, uh, I actually, I'm, I'm not a hundred percent. You would know better. Is it about, uh, what do you think? Like, actually I can look it up. I'm just like trying to, trying to get, let our listeners know how far the two hours and how far you drove in two hours and 45 minutes versus how far you didn't drive in two hours. Right. Let's, let's go ahead and try this. Uh, I'm going to do the, uh, let's see here from. And by the way, listeners, while AJ looks this up, I've prepared three quotes for today's episode because one quote is just unfair and too difficult. Oh, yeah. You have uh, mentioned this one to me. So let's see here. Downtown. I'm just going to put downtown Los Angeles. Okay. And so it would be about, and I was right, yeah, about 42 miles. Yeah. So 42 miles taking two hours. Mm -hmm. Uh, When you think about it, if let's say there was no traffic and you're on the freeway, 42 miles would probably take 30 something minutes. Yeah. 37 to 45 minutes, depending on how far from the freeway you are. Right. So and so we'll say 35 minutes is what it would should take. And it took two hours. So we got there 20 minutes long enough to watch. Any one of the Blade films. Oh, yeah. There you go. So it was great, though, catching up uh, with Sugarfoot because I hadn't seen him in person in, God, almost six months. Yeah. And so uh, obviously training was amazing. And then catching up with him, we get him, he records, he shoots. And I had to get him right back for the evening class, which took 
it took us about an hour and five minutes to okay, get back. Not so bad. not terrible, but we got him back just in time. Uh, yeah, it was a lot of driving. Nine hours is a lot for one day. Uh, it, that's but that, totally that's, worth it. Totally worth it. To, first of all, for our sensei, and also to help out uh, our friends Frank Jang and Michael Worth for everything they do for the martial arts community. And I can't wait. I can't wait to see the the series, the oh, documentary the, series. They're doing incredible work, uh, and you know, it's it's definitely a labor of love too, because a lot of this stuff, you know, it's not like yeah, we're making the big bucks. You know, it's yeah. So uh, really appreciative of the effort these guys put in, and the way that all of you listeners can help is pre-ordering any of these Blu-rays that are coming out because with the pre-orders, that's what gives them the idea of how many people are going to buy it and then they can green light the next project. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the good news is, a lot of these uh, Blu-rays and box sets are selling quite well. So let's keep up the good work and please do not pirate. Uh, That is the worst, especially for us in such a niche genre like this. And I know I'm Sounded hey, like no. Listen, listen. We know what happens to pirates, and if you don't, just ask Dick Way. Oh snap! Project A reference. I like it. But yes, please, everybody, keep an eye out for uh, all of these box sets and stuff coming out. Pre-order them. Do your part. I like it. Yeah. So, anywho, uh, that was my week. Otherwise, just been training a lot. Uh, outside of that. Getting in shape. Uh, hopefully, some big news on the uh, you know competition front coming soon mm-hmm. from me. What's new in the life of G. Kelly? Well, in the life of G. Kelly, I am sandwiched between trips to the New Beverly uh, as we yes. record this this last weekend on Sunday, Super Bowl Sunday. I had uh, purchased tickets to Blade One, Two, and Trinity. I stayed for Blade One and Two. Started at 6.30 p.m., emerged from the theater around 11.20 p.m. Every minute was worth it. Every minute was worth it. Yeah, and uh, had had I, uh, well, it was sold out, but had I known I was going to be doing this trip with, for Petey, I would have come just come down and gotten in line and tried to buy a ticket. But, you know, we weren't sure if I'd be able to get one. And then... Uh, on top of that, that's how last second this whole trip was. I didn't finalize yeah. it till Sunday morning. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, but it, it was, it was entirely worth it. It would have been great to have you there. I, uh, missed, uh, missed, uh, um, Mr. Vargas was there the night prior. I missed oh, seeing him, but dang. we've texted each other about it. Uh, I gotta tell you, seeing Donnie Yen, uh, working with Wesley Snipes, man, that was, that was a joy, even though there, I would have loved more s- actual screen time for donnie Yen, but to see to see that blade 2 just fantastic Uh, i'm I'm gonna date myself a little bit here because i actually went and saw blade 2 in theaters in high school and i was so pumped and specifically because donnie Yen was not only in it he was the fight choreographer Mm -hmm. i remember telling all my friends high school oh man blade 2 it's gonna be even better than blade 1 and they're like why i'm like oh well you know blade 1's fight scenes were great but donnie Yen's the fight choreographer and they're like who the heck is Donnie Yen? I was like, oh man, you got it. Like, not to sound like oh, I liked him before he was cool, but by this point, we're talking 2002, I think. I was already a massive Donnie Yen fan. You know, I'd seen everything that I could possibly see that was available. Uh, and, and it's funny because the only other people that knew Donnie Yen, and, and I went to a very big, diverse high school. And the funny part is, I had a lot of uh, Chinese American friends. But none of them knew who Donnie Yen was. It was a lot of my other like Southeast Asian friends. Like there was, you know, Hmong uh, students, Vietnamese. I had this small little group of guys that they were like the Kung Fu movie uh, either nuts or they at least grew up watching them like in their house. So they were the ones we talked about. They're like, oh man, well, have you seen Iron Monkey? I was like, shit, uh, of course I've seen Iron Monkey. And you know, they were the, and then I had a good friend in high school, Thomas, Thomas No, and he and I would exchange DVDs by this point, you know, uh, when DVDs were becoming more prevalent. So for example, I remember we traded my copy of uh, the new big boss, uh, Donnie Yen, mm-hmm. AKA uh, Legend of the Wolf, with his copy of Iron Monkey 2, which has oh. absolutely nothing to do with Iron Monkey. And I remember us exchanging and it's like, man, that movie sucked. I was like, yeah, that movie sucked. Yeah, but the fights were cool and Donnie was cool. Yeah, pretty much, you know, but uh, 
Yeah, so I was, long story short, I was already a massive fan. I was super pumped. I remember going, it was a Friday night, the weekend it opened, Brendan Movie Theaters, downtown Modesto. It was, this is back when, like, that's all you did on the weekends. It was packed. I remember us being, it was me and randomly my friend Ben Wass, uh, and his dad dropped us off, but we were afraid that they would uh, ask for our IDs because it was rated R. And for our international listeners that don't know, with rated R films, you're supposed to be 17 years old. Now, at this point, we would have been 15, about to turn 16, or uh, that's about right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we could have possibly gotten away with it had we acted confident and cool or whatever. But instead, we we had Ben's dad park the car and buy the tickets for us uh, just to be safe. Because I was like, there's no way I'm going to miss this. And I remember <laughs> going into there, seeing it on the big screen, Donnie doing his triple kick, all the fight scenes, just blown away. And remember, that was an early directorial effort in the sense of a big Hollywood release for Guillermo del Toro. And that film is just still to this day. I love it. Oh, it's fantastic. And, and like I said, uh, I just, I had a fantastic time watching these films and and it's going to, you know, uh, probably come up in the conversations we have today as we discuss, uh, what we're going to discuss later. Uh, and like I said, a book ended between, Two new new Beverly visits because this Saturday night, eleven fifty nine p.m., I'm going to midnight showing of the Last Dragon, the Motown musical, kung fu karate flick. Yeah, and I, I we have a ticket for me too. Unfortunately, I will not be able to make it. Uh, I just got stuff going on. And he's, he's trying to come up with an excuse right now. Well, the other thing is, I'm also trying to make trips to where i can actually come down and train with sugarfoot and do that kind and of you, stuff. you wouldn't be able to do no, that this Sugarfoot's weekend out a uh, town he's cornering uh, a friend of mine andrew kick ass this weekend andrew uh an amazing mma fighter and kickboxer he's fighting a kickboxing fight actually so that's great yeah is, so, that, is that going to be available to watch anywhere or, actually, or I, guess... I don't know i'll have to wait and see uh, he hasn't posted anything yet that i've seen but uh it's a waco event so oh very nice pro, so that's 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 big uh so that, that I, those that's my that, that's the news in my life right yeah. now. It's, Great news. I'm living in the new Beverly world and loving every minute of it. And there Although is a, I am going to be fatigued the yeah. very next day. There's a Monday night double Hong Kong screening on yes. next month that I'm going to try to make it down for. As as funny as it sounds, the Monday night one is sometimes actually easier for me, or it makes more sense logistically in me coming down to train. And Absolutely, do uh, stuff like that. So it's, it's it's perfect because you can hit hit sensei. Yes. Watch the film, spend the night, jog, train with uh, Herman or Petey again before you head back up on Tuesday. Yeah, there. well and now that Petey's actually teaching the Tuesday night classes at uh Yakubian Muay Thai. I know. So that I would know. be like maybe do that then drive home cuz in theory it's not as bad as it was before. So for a couple of years there I was living it's about six and a half hours from Los Angeles. Yep. Now from like where Sean's gym would be, I'd be like door to door three hours, maybe yeah, that, or less with no traffic. So that's hard. That's hard to turn that down. Yeah, it is, you know, uh, but anywho, let's get into the meat and potatoes of today's episode. So you have some quotes. You have a I do. very difficult one. Let's we're going to work our way up to the difficult okay. one. We're going to start with easy. Okay. Everything is somewhat semi-related to the film we're discussing or that or the lead actor's life okay hannah doesn't like this this is an easy one this is the easy one hannah doesn't like this hannah doesn't like this actress okay now i got it so and i was gonna bring this up later okay it took me a second that's from rage and honor Yes. Very indeed. good. Okay. Uh, uh, <laughs> so do you want to explain why you picked that quote? Well, because of Alex Dasher mm-hmm. uh, being playing the part of Hannah in, in Rage and Honor, but also playing uh, a key role in tonight's uh, today's episode. That's right. Okay. Very good. Uh, next quote. The, the next quote. You may wake up one day and find yourself extinct. Oh, that's Blade. Yes. Yeah. Nice. Stephen Dorff. Yeah. Very good. I like that. That was, that was a Frost. good delivery. Thank you. This next one's a little long okay. and it's unfair, but I'm going to go with it. Okay. As you hear the pages on my book turn. Yeah. Wow. Look back at the endless travesties of your life and you'll see me always there waiting in the shadows. 
when friends and loved ones wiped from your sight are wiped from your sight, I'm there. When those you cherish die abruptly and for no reason, I'm there for you. And when your cellmates in their so-called sanctuary are left twitching like headless chickens, guess who? Blade Trinity? No. Okay. Yeah, I'm not sure it, that. That's... It, no, it, it's 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 slightly outside the realm. It's it's Highlander Endgame Bruce Payne. Oh, I, my next guess was Tu Wong Fu. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> that would have been a great line for too long. Yeah, food. exactly. Okay. Bruce Payne. That's right. He was in the the third Highlander. Yes. I had to do I I I just love his line delivery so much. I had to I had to find a quote from him. It is the third Highlander, right? Or I think it is it the third or the fourth? Wait, no, the four oh wait, because the third one was Mario Van Peebles. Yeah, so it has to be the fourth. Oh, okay. Got because it. Because it's the oh. the Oh, that's right. It's the Highlander Endgame, right? Yes, Endgame. Yes, that's right. He looks so different in that movie, though. He, he has the shaved head, right? Yeah. yeah. Wow, I'd even put one and one together. Very good, my man. Thank you very much. Yeah, I like it. I like it. Those Okay, so those were good quotes uh, and a great segue into uh, the movie we are talking about today. Uh, and I think you actually uh, picked this one for us today. I think no, I think you did. Oh, maybe I did. Okay. Yes, you did. Well, anyways, we are talking about the 1992 American action thriller directed by Kevin Hooks and starring Wesley Snipes, Bruce Payne, and Tom Sizemore. <laughs> the classic Passenger 57. Passenger 57. Wow. And of course, as many of our listeners know, uh, this was the last film that you and I got together to watch in person, February 2019, March 2019. 20. 20. 20, 20. 2020. 2020, that's right. Yeah, because it was, so this was the last film we went to go see in theaters before the lockdown because yep. uh, it was a Monday matinee screening. Mm -hmm. uh, I was still running my training business at the time and I had uh, plenty of freedom to kind of move around my schedule. And I was in my final semester of grad school, so I was done with all my classes. I was just a, a TA and uh, was, you know, working on my final research uh, defense and so forth. So it was like Monday afternoon, 2 p.m. We're like, hell yeah, we can do it. And we went and saw that. It was awesome. Little did we know how much the world was about to change, but a great final movie to see in theaters. Really, really good. Uh, just such a fun film. And it was, uh, I was so happy you picked it and just to... Just let, took me down the the Wesley Snipes rabbit hole, which I had already kind of committed to with the with the Blade Trinity uh, uh, trilogy, I should say, trilogy yes. ticket. And this this episode's been a long time in the making because uh, our uh, our boss Shane had ordered me to do an episode on this about uh, a little over a year ago, and I just. Uh, said, you know what, man? Screw you. No, I'm just kidding. A very good friend of mine, Shane, <laughs> as, as much as I joke about, yeah, give us requests for episodes. So uh -huh. uh, a member of the, the gym I used to manage, uh, a good friend of mine, Shane, he had been asking forever. He's like, oh, you have a podcast. That's cool. And he's, uh, he's a 90s kid as well. And so he grew up on a lot of the same movies. We, we always talk movies and stuff like that. He has great taste in movies, terrible taste in football teams. Uh, <laughs> uh, but anywho... Uh, he had mentioned, man, you should do an episode on Passenger 57. I'm like, yeah, that's great. That's a great idea. I love Passenger 57. I, like a, a month later, hey, where's that uh, Where's that episode on Passenger 57? <laughs> I'm like, oh, you know, we haven't gotten around to it yet. And then three months later, hey, hey, where's that episode on Passenger 57? So finally, Shane, here you go. Here is your episode on Passenger 57. Uh, it's, uh, you know, it's funny is I... I I went to see Blade with uh, Jorge and I told him our next episode is Passenger 57. He goes, that's a great film, but... Is there enough martial arts in that? Are you guys stretching it a little bit? I'm like, I wonder if we are. Rewatched it, it. We're not. We're not stretching it. It is one of those borderline films, though. It, it is. absolutely it, can qualify for our podcast. But notice I introduced it as an action thriller. But it definitely has plenty of martial arts. And not just that. It's specifically martial arts that are being displayed. Not just fight scenes or like, oh, I'm a, yes. you know, I'm a security military guy. No, he, Wesley Snipes specifically uses what would be like traditional martial arts techniques on top of maybe some more tactical uh, 
type defense moves. And there's also a whole sequence where he's training martial arts. So definitely yeah, it, it's uh, so absolutely it doesn't. And what's what's interesting about, I think, Wesley Snipes, I think, you know, within the martial arts world, the martial arts film uh, film verse, we know that he, he makes great martial art movies. But I don't think that you don't say you don't think of Wesley Snipes like Steven Seagal or Jean-Claude Van Damme for, for, for justifiable reasons. Those two were, were pillars in, in uh, kind of elevating spotlighting martial arts, same with Chuck Norris, but his acting range is so significant that he can, he's has the career that, uh, that sees him floating in and out of genres, comedies, heavy dramas, uh, he plays villains. He plays uh, protagonists, and his action films are tied together like, like they're not trying to introduce a martial art to us. Rather, it's it's uh, they're action films, but he's doing traditional forms in the in the in the films in the fight sequences, like when he goes pulls back and and holds a kokushin karate form, I believe. No, uh, right? No, no, what is it? What is he doing? So- Wesley Snipes' background, and so once again, it's it's always hard to get this exact information, this and that, but, you know, supposedly he started uh, as a kid, but his main background, and this is the consistent thing I've heard for the last 25 years, is Shotokan, Shotokan karate. karate. He started as a youth and did, all, you know, has done his whole life and supposedly is 50 degree black belt. So I, I'm not sure about that, but we're going to say he is a Shotokan karate black belt and has also done a lot of other martial arts, which can be mm-hmm. seen in his film roles. Uh, you know, he's apparently dabbled in capoeira mm-hmm. in, uh, Supposedly, according to Wikipedia, Hapkido, mm-hmm. uh, some Kung Fu type stuff, which but I would say his root system is Shotokan, Shotokan karate, karate. which you can see that in a lot of his he has powerful sidekicks, powerful yes. uh, snap kicks, powerful straight punches. It makes sense that Shotokan is his base system. And I 100 percent believe that he is a high level black belt in Shotokan. You, you, I, and one thing I wanted to actually talk to you about, uh, you know, but before we uh, get into the film itself is the training sequence. Mm-hmm. We've seen a lot of training sequences like Rocky four is an inspiring training sequence. We've seen also training sequences that are like, Oh, that's really cool. You know, uh, just Speakman at the beginning of uh perfect weapon. It's a f- really freaking cool sequence, mm-hmm. but this, his training sequence that Wesley Snipes does in this film is pretty high level. Like it, the the way he's like working with uh, this, not just a speed bag, but uh, what what are, what are some of the bags that he works with? And and could you speak a little sure. bit to so, that? So pretty much, it's two main bags, right? He's got the the speed bag, and then uh, he's got a heavy bag. So not a banana bag, not like a Muay Thai one that goes all the way ground. Just a traditional mm-hmm. halfway hanging down heavy bag. Does he have a speed ball on the strings? Yes, he does. Yes, he that does. One. That's what I thought. Okay, so that's like like a speed ball. So that's some very boxing base. He's got the yeah. the speed bag against the wall. The which takes a lot of coordination. It's so funny. As I always joke with people, that's one of the few training tools I've never really used because none of my coaches slash sensei slash whoever have ever really had me use that. Even Sugarfoot has never had me mm-hmm. train on that. Uh, I mean, can I use it? Sure. Uh, but I'm not the best at it at all. Uh, but it takes a lot of coordination. So he's doing that. And then he's doing more of the speed ball that's connected to the ground and the ceiling on a line, which, which is good yeah. for reflexes. And then he's hitting the heavy bag very much in a kickboxing style. He does like what would be a, a, a tornado kick at the end. Uh, and, you know, so it, it goes to show he obviously had some boxing and kickboxing training because you can't fake that even with a strong traditional martial arts background, especially because Shotokan, uh, as much as it can lend itself to real combat, we've seen that through uh, Leota Machida. Uh, you know, it's not a kickboxing st- type system. So he obviously had some training in boxing and kickboxing because you can't just learn that overnight or, you know, do it right then and there. And let's let's not to, let's not forget also that his cool little loft setup is like one of the most badass apartments I've ever seen. Like that's the kind of one I go yeah. like, oh man, I want that. So it's like a big studio <laughs> loft with an open giant window. Of course, now as an adult, I'm like, ooh man, the uh, air conditioning bills in the summer, that place would be hot. But yeah. uh, it, so like 
half it's like it's like it's in an industrial building and so one wall is just all windows and he's all he's got is like he's got his what looks like a nice bed a meditation station where he's sitting there meditating very similar to the one in blade so i'd imagine that's probably something he brought into the picture himself he probably has like a incense meditation uh, mm-hmm. station you mm-hmm. know that he, in his own life and then maybe that's something he likes to bring into his films and then it's just a bunch of workout equipment the uh, aforementioned heavy bags speed bags uh he's got like kind of a, a home gym setup not like a bow more like a uh it's got like a peck deck on there and some other weights and this and that and i'm like oh yeah that's that's the life of well unfortunately a widowed bachelor ah because that sequence is actually the setup for a little more background information on our character so Mm -hmm. you know right out the gate we're introduced to our we're introduced to the antagonist who has a great name would you like to share that charles rain yeah, the reign of terror, who is about to get a facial reconstruction surgery to change his identity when the FBI busts in, catches him, uh, and they're going to extradite him to Los Angeles. It doesn't really say where it starts off. I think it's Florida. Yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't yeah, say. But I, I mean, I think I think a there. lot of the movie is actually shot yeah. in Florida. So. so we'll just say Florida and they're going to extradite him back to California where he'll get the death penalty, et cetera, et cetera. Then uh, we cut to a training sequence on an airplane where a flight attendant tries to go all Rambo and her trainer played by Wesley Snipes reads her the right act about how she should never do that, this and that. And that's where we're introduced to uh, Wesley Snipes character, John Cutter, a security expert who at this point in his life is a trainer. Pretty much. He trains flight attendants. He trains bouncers. He trains security. Now his exact background. It's interesting. When you read the Wikipedia, there's all this mm-hmm. information about how he was a former secret service agent, how he was a former. And that maybe is the kind of stuff that comes from the novelization of uh, the movie. If, uh, and real quick segue, I forgot to mention, uh, I was on a friend's podcast this week. Uh, oh, yeah. a friend of mine from college Davis, uh, and it's going to be called low hanging fruit. It's the first season. So I don't even think it's come out yet. And okay. one of his little side projects he's working on is he wants to start doing reviews of it's something he fell into during the pandemic of these novelizations of films. And oh, that's fantastic. Like, nobody's doing it. I'm like, Oh my God. Cause I used to buy those as a kid at like the, Me the too. book fair. And I jokingly said, Oh yeah, blah, blah, blah. The novelization of face off. And he's like, Oh, I've got that one. And I was like, Oh my God, I was just kidding. So for example, like on the Wikipedia page, it says all these very specific details tells about our character where I'm like, wait a minute. It, it never specifically said that. So maybe it's from the novelization. Either which way, he's a uh, a former operative of some sort. And we find out that his wife got killed in a robbery gone wrong that he tried to stop. So this whole training sequence is like him getting out of his anger and it's a montage type and it cuts to this flashback of him trying to stop this robbery and the robber killing his wife. And his best friend Sly Del Vecchio, what a great name, played yeah. by uh, the great, but unfortunately troubled Tom Sizemore, uh, is trying to get him back in the game, as he calls it. And he is... Get off the sidelines and back into the game. Right, exactly. So for an airline company, they're starting a new security branch and they want Cutter to be the VP, like, you know, to pretty much head it up. And so he decides to take the job. So they're going to fly him out to California to meet the board members. And he just happens to be on the same plane with not only the flight attendant he was training before, but also Mr. Rain, our terrorist, who's being extradited back to California. So uh, one thing, two things we need to discuss is we've talked about great trailers before. The trailer for Passenger 57 is absolutely fantastic there's even like a sense of humor in the way uh one of the great movie trailer voices of all time delivers and talks about this film they finally captured charles rain the world's greatest terrorist or hijacker and they're sending him to los angeles on a plane but it's more like on a plane something like that but it's just it's a fantastic like Fantastic trailer, line after line. It just it pops the whole way through. But the opening title sequence is one of the coolest title sequences I've seen, at least at that time of my life, as like a very young, as a young teen, like watching this. And with the soundtrack by Stanley Clark, I this movie just 
hooks me mm-hmm. from minute one. You took the words right out of my mouth. That opening, and I made a note, the opening credits are very cool, uh, badass, for lack of a better term, artistic. And it's just a quick, you know, title introduction of all our key players and so forth set to Stanley Clark soundtrack. Now, both you and I actually listen to this soundtrack for fun. I have it on my phone and I love mm-hmm. it. And it's just so good. It's very 90s, that style. And it's got that, it's jazz. It's jazz with so some of the songs are just straight up like, you know, smooth jazz, very well done. Some da, are more, da, da, you know, da. musical score, yep. like to accentuate the action. Uh, but that whole opening credit sequence is, it just feels very 90s in the best kind of way. And I was talking about this on the podcast I was on earlier this week because we were reviewing Hard Target. And mm-hmm. there's a unique style to 90s action films that I think people forget about. A lot of credit goes to the 80s, as it should, but a lot of the 80s ones, they were hokey over the top and we loved that. And it's not that the 90s didn't have that, but the 90s also had this run of action films that were, you know, really well made as films you know yes. uh they, yes. they weren't just action pictures they were excuse me great films that happened to be action movies and at the time i feel like a lot of the reviews and so forth were critical simply because at that point in time it was still very popular slash you were supposed to be critical of action films because it's not you know proper cinema it's lowbrow this and that but when you have an, a phenomenal score like that. And as as I always joke, it's funny. As as a youth, I never quite understood jazz and but it always brings me back to my childhood because my dad mm-hmm. used to love to listen to uh the local radio station after work when we'd go to his house, The River. And it was smooth jazz <laughs> just like this movie. I never got it. I was like, Well, why do we want to listen to it? And he's you know, it's it's like his time as he was making us dinner and mm-hmm. you know, after a hard day's work. Now as an adult, I totally get it. I'm like, heck yeah. Put on some smooth jazz. Give me some Stanley Clark or some George Benson. I need to relax. Yeah. And the thing is like with with Stanley Clark, his bass, he's obviously, he's he's a bassist and a composer. His bass just like hits so hard and smooth. It, it's like, it, you're right. It's like a lot of the 80s films were a little hokey, borderline campy at points. The 90s, like films like these get cool, get not gritty, but smooth and a willingness to almost relaunch that neo-noir era. I mean, a few years after this, I, I think it's a few years after this, uh, uh, Wesley Snipes did boiling point with, uh, with, uh, I, I'm Hollywood icon. I'm forgetting his name, but basically it, it, it's, it moves us closer the nineties and the way they incorporate the soundtracks and the way they're shot. Like even a lot of the, to, to go out of the martial arts realm here, uh, like a lot of the James Spader films, it's like this neo noir is like re reemerging like this indie neo noir and, and films like this, even though it's a mainstream film has that like noir feel to it. It's right. really, it's a really great feel. And it starts right at the opening and then it cuts it, then like the way it goes from the opening to, to uh, Bruce Payne's eye. And then it like comes out or, or it comes out of the, you know, he's, he's getting a plastic surgery or attempting to. Um, but anyway, it's, it's a, uh, it's a it's, great entry into the film. It is. It's and a great, it, it's great that we're also introduced the, to the antagonist first, as opposed to yes. our protagonist. And it just goes to show how, integral obviously he is to the plot which is you know standard but how great of a character he is and it's kind of it's what happens when you take a formally trained actor you know who's mm-hmm. who's known for probably you know having a theater background and this and that and you know I'm trying to think of the the right word you know like a proper thespian thrown into a Hollywood action picture with you know it's it's standard fare it's not once again, it's it's not going to be Shakespeare in terms of the script, but when you bring that phenomenal acting ability to a picture like this, to some what uh, w- lines that in another person's uh, handling could just come off as totally hokey, instead they come off as brilliant, uh, and he really brings across co- the psychotic. Uh, sociopathic nature of his character. And oh, just real quick, uh, with boiling point, you were talking about Dennis Hopper. Thank you very much. Yeah, yeah, Thank no you. Uh, you know, it's what's interesting, and you you just you you 
you pointed to some something that I that helps Passenger 57 stick out. A lot of times there are people who are adverse to martial art films because they don't understand them. There are a lot of people who are adverse to action films because they don't understand them. Like there are, James Bond films usually have has a teaser at the beginning of, the, of their film. And a lot of action films follow that format. And Kung Fu films, and we've discussed this before, showcase what the martial art is going to be featured in that film. A lot of Kung Fu films do that. A lot of Western martial art films do that. What is so unique about Passenger 57 is just what you pointed out. It opens with the antagonist and it makes it an easier entry point for people who might be hesitant to enter the action world. And as you were saying, like there were a lot of critics back then critical of action films by entering, by entering where it does it, it pulls the audience in and then hooks them. And I, I know I realize I keep using the word hooks, uh, you know, obviously the director is Kevin Hooks, as you've mentioned, who who has directed a lot of great films. I think we were talking about one uh, at some point over the pandemic. We were texting about uh, Black Dog, right? Yeah, I watched it on Tubi for the first time finally, and gr- fun wow. film, right? You know, isn't it? Yeah. So he had an eye for this kind of movie. Uh, yeah, he he kind, of, he kind of like I don't want to say he deconstructs the the action format. But he he makes these tweaks that allow his films to live beyond their release date. Right. And the, the nice part is uh, Bruce Payne, who plays Charles Rain, our antagonist, he's he's obviously enjoying himself in this kind of role because otherwise you've seen sometimes great actors step into, you know, action pictures and stuff like this. And it's it's almost like they're doing it for a paycheck or, oh, they're contractually obligated to do it. And it comes off even if they're still a great actor. Like, for example, I've always thought uh, Edward Norton in The Italian Job, the mm. obviously the newer one, I always felt like he was just kind of – he still does a great job, but I felt like he didn't want to be there. You know what I mean? It's yeah, like, it's, hey, it's... I'm Edward Norton and I'm the antagonist in this, you know, kind of whatever action picture. Okay, I'm just going to phone it in almost. In this case – we are not getting that from Bruce Payne. We are getting oh wow, no, uh, not at all. An amazing performance, and it's like you know what? I'm a professional. I don't care if this is a Warner Brothers action picture in in vain of the at that time, like the Steven Seagal type movie. I am going to give it my all, and boy, as an audience, do we get rewarded for that? Yeah, you, you know, I, and I'm glad you brought up a Steven Seagal film. I mean, it's in many ways Bruce Payne channels both Gary Busey and. Uh, Oh, Tommy Lee Jones, Tommy Lee Jones. I was going to say Stratix, uh, Tommy Lee Jones in one character, the level of sociopath, Obviously, the level of crazy referencing under, under siege. siege, Yeah, you know, or die hard on a boat. This is die hard on a plane as they, as they like to re- refer to these types of films. Right. But, uh, just, I, there isn't a line that he, that he doesn't deliver that doesn't come across as menacing and absolutely psychotic. I like we've quoted they're they're great quotes to pull. Every quote that he has is a, a new one to pull from. But uh, the one that stood out to me this time, and, and I, I uh, is when he walks past uh, Dwight Henderson, played by Robert Hooks, and he's like, "Those two men you killed were were my friends." And he turns around. He goes from being totally upset that he's been caught. He turns around and smiles. And he says, thank you. I always like to, I always enjoy knowing the lives of the people I've touched. It's such a good delivery too. And he's, because it just shows, the thing is, as the film progresses, he gets crazier, still very, what I would say, controlled. He, you know, he doesn't uh, let himself go in the sense of not being intelligent, but he just gets creepier and crazier as the film progresses. And then, you know, even later when he's uh, being, very like um what's the the proper terminology sexually aggressive towards uh the character of marty the flight attendant mm-hmm. you know it's just oh it's so creepy it's so creepy that his what is presumed to be his love interest and one of his hench women uh rolls her eyes and walks away because even for her it's like oh i can't i can't stand play, play, yeah played play by elizabeth by. hurley well yeah we should get to that so yeah Let's get back to where we were in the plot. Uh, they're all on the same plane, but 
his people, that is Rain's people, are also on the plane ready to hijack it. So he has a crew uh, with some great character actors in there, specifically led by uh, Elizabeth Hurley as Mm -hmm. Sabrina Ritchie, who is a flight attendant on the plane. Now, there may be some arguments of, wait a minute, how could she get this flight attendant role? Wait a minute, how? So we're just going to let that, you know, slide. But she comes off as what's supposed to be just a, you know, a nice, innocent character. She's, in fact, she's very sweet and loving to a boy on the plane. And it just goes to show how probably all of his hench people are also psychotic. The fact that they can just turn it on and off like that. But so, yeah, they've got Elizabeth Hurley. We've got uh, Michael Horse as Mm -hmm. Fouget. And, a lot of people will probably recognize him from the original Twin Peaks series and yeah, the, the newer he's one. He's fantastic yeah, in this. He's, yeah, he's great because he's more. He's kind of like the tough guy of them. Uh, and there's there's a few more uh, the, that kind of come up, come and go. But also uh, we've got uh, Mark McCauley, yes. who was in No <laughs> Retreat, No Surrender three. So you'll uh-huh. instantly recognize him if you're a fan of No Retreat, No Surrender three, just because he plays a very similar role in that movie. He's one of you know the henchmen for. Uh, uh, the bad guys. Isn't he a Tommy Lee Jones henchman too in Under Siege? Oh, he might be. I'm gonna double check. I feel yeah, like he you is. Might, you might be right. Uh 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 uh. Bear with me. I have to scroll down quietly with my uh mouse. We heard that click. I know. I knew it. I knew it. Where's 1990? We're still on the tooth. Oh, this guy's. He's putting a lot of work. Uh, 1991. We are almost there. It's it's like he's. Uh, it's not on resi- Wikipedia. I'll say that. I've seen him in something else, and now I'm seeing. I've probably seen him in a lot of something else. Oh yeah, he's definitely a character actor. Uh, wow, I thought for sure he was in Under Siege. No, he's in Bad Boys, and he has an actual name, so maybe that was the one. No, I, 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 I'm going to, I'm going to go back and watch Under Siege and I'm going to, if I find him on a, I'm going to take a picture and send it to you. I feel like he's on there or wait, is he might be in a, a different Andrew Davis film. It's possible, but let's I'll not, find let, out. Let's not go down that rabbit hole. Thank right you now. very much. So stop me. Yeah. They're on the plane. They take it over. But luckily, uh, <laughs> uh, John Cutter was in the bathroom because, uh, to ease him on the flight uh, our character of Marty brings a old lady to sit next to him and tells him that it, he is Arsenio Hall. And so she goes on talking to him like, I love your show. Uh, My show? I, yeah. I Oh, yeah. I never miss an episode. Woo, 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 woo. And for those of you that uh, don't remember the early 90s, that was an iconic kind of trademark move of Arsenio Hall. Yeah. Uh, I love when you do that segment. Things that make you go, hmm. So to get away from her, he goes <laughs> to use the restroom. That's when the terrorists take over. He's able to make a phone call to let his friend Sly Del Vecchio know the plane's being taken over. He's also able to take out one of the terrorists that, uh, you know, tries to stop him, grabs Marty. They go down below. They manage to, uh, and we, uh, at that point, you know, we've already had some action, but then he also has a fight scene with Mark McCauley as Vincent mm-hmm. down below. So that's like our f- first big, uh, well, I mean, he, he fought one of the terrorists, uh, you know, the one that tried to catch him in the bathroom. So that's a great little short segment. But then we get a straight up fight scene between him uh, and the Vincent character. The music switches over to kind of, how would you describe it? Like, uh, I don't know. It's just a great musical change right there. The It, it, it is. It, it is. I don't know how I would describe yeah. it, but yeah, it, it definitely. It, it accentuates the fight scene. So it's a it knife. Does. It's a knife fight uh, where our terrorist has a knife and Wesley Snipes is unarmed. He uses some great. And as I said, this is why. It's definitely, we can talk about this on a martial arts podcast because his style, it's not like he's just doing straight Krav Maga or, you know, a a military combat thing. He's using his long kicks. He's using his front kick. He's using his side kick. Uh, Gotta go, gotta go. And, you know, does his like uh, (laughs) running side kick and so forth and his straight punches. And he does like some kind of, you know, trapping hand type stuff, almost Wing Chun-esque throughout the mm-hmm. film and in this fight scene. But it's a great little fight His scene. His palm strikes as well are yeah. fantastic. Yeah. So, and it's done very, very well. And the choreography uh, is also, uh, in my opinion, d- done well for this film. 
based off that style. And the, the fight choreographer was a Marcus Salgado, who was apparently also one of Wesley Snipes' trainers. And this gentleman also has a very diverse martial arts background. And he worked on a bunch of Wesley Snipes films from this period, like from starting with this film all the way through the 90s. And you can tell they obviously work well together because this guy supposedly has a Shotokan background as well. And so, you know, probably knows how to choreograph fights around Wesley Snipes' moves. But uh, yeah, we get a great little fight sequence. And then Wesley Snipes is able to bring down the plane by dumping the fuel because obviously he's a security expert. He knows how to do that. And so then the plane comes down on the ground, which introduces us to a whole new group of characters. They, they land in Louisiana, right? Uh-huh. And uh, we have a great sheriff character played by Ernie Lively, who is the father of the lively bunch as in Blake Lively. Are you kidding me? Wow, I didn't I didn't even put that together. Oh yeah. So he so first of all, the father of Robin Lively from Karate Kid Part 3 slash the Cobra Kai TV series. Uh and more famously, Blake Lively, the Holly big time Hollywood actress slash wife of Ryan Reynolds. So mm. their father everything goes back to Blade Trinity. There you go. Ah. Uh, well, yeah. Ah, ah. Ah. Yep. So, uh, and he's great as the small town sheriff. Uh, so yeah, shenanigans ensue. Wesley Snipes, you know, gets off the plane. They don't know if they can trust him. And then, uh, we've got, uh, Charles Rain and a couple of his henchmen escape from the plane. Wesley Snipes catches them or chases them down and catches them. But then they get back on the plane and the plane takes off again. And then Wesley Snipes manages to sneak back on the plane. <laughs> and that's where we get our finale. So, you know, it, it, it's interesting. You're like, because a lot of times you're like, well, how do you keep a, a film that's only on a plane exciting the whole time? Well, that's how you land the plane. You get it off the plane. And then it's like, well, now they're off the plane. How do you get them back on the plane? Oh, okay. They explain that. Okay. Well, how mm-hmm. do you get the plane to take off again? Oh, they explain that. So uh, that's what I like is it's not just set on the plane the whole time. It's very much back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. It, 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 it moves really well. It feels like almost like a short uh, there are a few points in the film where you think, oh, is it, is it already coming to an end? And I've watched this multiple times, but it's like, no, it just it just moves well. And then it, we're going to get to the next sequence. We're not going to spend too too long on it. We're going to get it's it. It doesn't. This film does not waste time. Yes. Agreed. It just it moves to the next, to the next, to the next. And it moves well and it's seamless. It just it just feels right the the pacing and like you know we we, we were talking about an, uh you know the another Wesley Snipes film that we I just recently watched we were texting about that and we can bring up Game of Death in a little bit but this <laughs> film is edited so well yeah and it, you you had mentioned kind of how the editing of the fight scenes it it was borderline like it worked you know for overall it worked there was maybe a few choices we were like oh I'm not sure if I would have cut there but the right. cuts the the cuts typically do a pretty good job because I went back and rewatched this morning after we discussed that a little bit. They do a good job of accentuating the action. I think maybe there was a few where they cut too early, but Mm -hmm, either mm -hmm. which way, they were definitely above par with like most Hollywood pictures at that time. And something that I think should be pointed out is, and we've talked about this in the past with, for example, an actor like Thomas Ian Griffith, a formerly trained like Shakespearean actor who was also a formally trained martial artist. Mm -hmm. And that's what made him so good in both departments. But Wesley Snipes may be or go down as the greatest actor slash martial artist in Hollywood simply because people forget, especially when you look at his recent output from the last 20 years, mostly a lot of that to do with his, you know, tax evasion and going to prison and, you know, doing a lot of straight to video action pictures uh, and so forth and so forth. But Wesley Snipes in his prime was one of the top actors in Hollywood. And when absolutely, you, yeah, when you look absolutely. at his filmography, his- he's incredible. And some of his roles he's had are just, he is an amazing actor who well, happens he, to be an amazing martial artist. Well, you know, it, it brings us back to that one black belt magazine question that had come up, like who's, who's the greatest martial arts actor. And I know we, you know, we try to, we, we don't have to go down that rabbit hole again. and trying to define what that, what that is, but he is in that conversation Yes, from the perspective of his acting range is absolutely incredible. And his pr- ability to sell on screen and also believability it's just he's a fantastic martial artist as well 
Yeah, and his, his the character he plays in this film, he's just so consistent on he's cool, he's calculated, but you could tell he's also got pent up anger mm-hmm. uh, based around the death of his wife. And it's almost like this whole experience, as crazy as this sounds, is kind of therapeutic. He's, as his friend Sly Delvecchio said, gotten back in the game. And it's almost like he's able to take out these emotions that he's been bottled up out on this situation and proving that he still has something to give to the world, right? And in a sense, we see this at the end, he's able to move on. So Yes, yes, it, absolutely. Yeah. And you know, that's 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 really important that you you mentioned that he's able to move on at the end because in the very first sequence where he's uh escaping trying to help Alex Datra escape uh from the plane. In the uh, training or at, sequence. Or in the training sequence or at the n- no, oh, on the actual plane. Oh, okay. on the actual plane when they go down. Right. She afterwards, after he takes out uh, the first assailant, which I think is Mark Macaulay. Again, yeah. he uh, she uh, she says, "Who's Alec or who's Lisa?" That's right. And he, he accidentally called her that. He said, "Lisa, yes. uh, part of my French." Lisa, God damn it, let me handle this. Or yeah, yeah, and and yeah. So it's it it's a reminder. There's a reminder throughout the film. So again, it's like there's there is this a growth opportunity. It might it might just be reminders here and there, but uh, it's it gives us more to invest in his journey, and that's again why this film stands out as a classic. Because a lot of straight to video films don't necessarily, or or other action films or dramas or comedies along the way don't actually have the audience get invested in the protagonist. It's right. just hey, let's get to the next set piece. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, in this one, as I said, we're getting these great action set pieces and it's the in-betweens that keep you engaged as a viewer. And the other thing is, this is not a long film. It it clocks in at 84 minutes, which by today's standards is super short. And by the standards back then was also, you know, five or six minutes shorter than what would be your usual uh, Mm -hmm. kind of minimum running time. But it's very much go, 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 go. And what they're able to accomplish in that time period is great. We're getting we get the three act structure, we get the hero's journey, we get yes. the character to development, we get uh you know they resolve everything. And so it definitely keeps you entertained from start to finish and keeps up that high energy level as well. You you, you I have notes over here. Mm-hmm. And you hit all of those notes. I know Absolutely. I actually it's- broke into your office last night, read your notes, and then you don't want to know what else I did in your office. Uh, but then I, I escaped and drove back up here. You know, AJ, I've come to expect more from you than cheap vulgarities. <laughs> I like it. Great use of a, uh, quote from the film. Uh, so yeah, let's, let's get to talking about, so we talked about one of the main fight scenes and then throughout Wesley Snipes, there's a lot of like mini, uh, what would you call it? A vignette or, or yeah. like, yeah, fight vignettes where, Wesley Snipes gets to do three or four moves, boom, 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 boom. And then, it, but it, it's great because it, it it's a great treat to see him fight, but you're not left like, oh, I wanted that to be longer. It's It works. Like, for example, Everything. before the sheriffs, you know, uh, can trust him, he's like, well, they don't trust me, so I got to get away from them. And that fight sequence. The I, yeah. I'm so glad you brought that fight sequence up. It is so, that, that escape scene is so great. Right. And that's where we see him using a little bit more of like the trapping hands type thing. And that's where, yeah, there's some interesting pauses where, which is very almost like martial arts demo-esque. Where he yes. goes and pauses and then waits and then da-da-da-da. And I'm like, okay, interesting beat stylistically, but it works. You know, it's so funny. It's like uh, you did you did break into my office now, I'm convinced, because I'm, I feel like a lot of this felt like a Jeff Speakman movie in a way where there's like, but pause so you actually feel that you yeah it's just, it it has the the old it's like it's the transformation from this movie is almost like the transformation of martial arts on western big hollywood films from chuck norris to what we're seeing today right it's it's like there are these hard quick hitting moments then pause and then back to the hitting moments it's just it's yeah well exactly because he takes out the two guards he's running outside another cop tries to stop him he could have easily just punched him this no he does a spinning back kick or spinning side kick right to the on, throat right to the throat and it's it's a long one like ah boom and it's a great kick uh 
because even the way they film it, you see that it's Wesley Snipes throwing the kick and it lands probably not exactly where it was supposed to, but it, it, <laughs> like, it lands. It's like it lands because it, it's a high one. So typically with that kind of kick, you're wanting to go more midline because that's where there's more power, but yep. it, 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 it works and it's great. And then, you know, we obviously Wesley Snipes gets back on the plane. So we have a bit of a final fight between him and uh, Rain. And which has some great little uh, beats and moments to it, but obviously, mm-hmm. you know, he's Rain doubled. Is is, no, is Bruce Payne so doubled, or is from that what him? I read, from what I read, uh, neither of them are doubled because they insisted on doing it themselves. I love that. So that's just what I read. I don't know. So, you, uh, like their fight, it starts off kind of even, but then I because you know you have to imagine Reno. He's a world world class terrorist, uh, so he must know some stuff, but he's not necessarily military trained, and so. Mm-hmm. Eventually, Wesley Snipes obviously takes over and, you know, kicks his butt. Well, you, you know, what's funny is I, so on on YouTube, there's an E Hollywood 30 minutes on the set uh, documentary. And it's uh, it's basically well, it's not basically it's Passenger 57. It's Wesley Snipes. He arrives in the morning on his motorcycle. He's talking to the camera. They're like kids from his alma mater out there from his high school. He's, he takes lunch with them. He's you know, you see him working with the kids. But. Uh, one of my favorite sequences is I believe it's Jeff Ward, who's the stunt coordinator, is working with uh, Bruce Payne. Mm. And you see them like working together and he's doing forms with him. And uh, oh, I, gotta check that I out. think I think it's around the 19 minute mark. I, 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 I took uh, took note of that to tell you, but it's it's it. You you kind of see uh, Bruce Payne working, and I'm and I so when we were on the when we're on the flight when we're now as the audience they're back on the flight watching the film, uh, it looked like it was him, but I'm like he's moving in a way that I buy it. Yeah. I buy Bruce Payne exactly. That's what like so at the beginning you're, you the moves he's using are like okay this makes sense, but eventually Wesley Snipes is the stronger martial artist. He's able to kind of overcome. But then so what does uh. Rain do he utilizes the environment starts choking uh Wesley Snipes or John Cutter and then obviously eventually our protagonist is able to escape and then uh spoiler alert our terrorist is thrown off the airplane so we don't know if he actually died Ooh, sequel yeah uh, a sequel <laughs> where Elizabeth Hurley the one henchman that lives and is arrested uh she finally gets out of prison and then they team up to get revenge on Cutter. Mm, I like it. I like it. Yeah, let's who's actually, now married to Marty. Yeah, let's just let's actually hope that film doesn't happen, please. Yeah. Uh oh, I threw it out in the universe. Of all the sequels I've ever wanted, that's the one that's going to get made. Passenger Fifty Eight. <laughs> Passenger Fifty Junior. Yeah, <laughs> his son. Oh God. But uh, yeah. So I mean, we're already hitting the hour mark. Uh, and I feel like we address a lot of the main topics of this film and what we wanted to cover. We, we could keep going and going just because it's such a classic action picture. And so for me, I, I can't honestly remember the very first time I watched it, but I'm pretty sure it was on TV. But I mm-hmm. did buy this film on VHS from uh, Best Buy. So it was like one of the last of that era where it was, you know, maybe DVDs had just started mm-hmm. coming out, maybe not. Uh, but this one... I remember buying brand new on VHS from Best Buy. It was the Warner Brothers collection. And, you know, it's got great artwork and definitely watched this bad boy plenty of times in my youth. Yeah. The the first time I saw this was actually either it may have been my first pay-per-view movie. Oh, uh, I actually believe it was because I think back then when you bought a pay-per-view movie, did you get to watch it more than once? I think you, you had, had it for a, 24 hours you had like or something. Yeah, like a 24-hour timeline. Yeah, yeah. so I was at Ryan, New York. We had uh, we had cable for, you know, we just got on cable and passed it 57. I don't know why I wanted to watch it so badly. Maybe they had shown the trailer. And of course, like I said, the trailer pops. And uh, man, oh man, I watched this a couple times or a few times uh, through pay-per-view that on that 24 hour period uh i haven't watched it a ton because i it's one of those films that is a comfort film but also i like to keep it fresh so when it was playing at the new beverly and we went and watched it as the first time i'd seen it on the big screen and uh, re-watching it this week i watched it once the whole way through and then watched some sequences uh after that and uh 
it's such a joy. It's definitely comfort food caliber, but yet, like I said, I, I like to keep this in a fresh container in the right. comfort food refrigerator. I love it. I love it. And the thing is, you mentioned the trailer popped. Uh, especially the younger generation, they don't understand how essential movie trailers used to be. And obviously it was an art form and how good they used to be. Because think about this. Let's take it back to like, I don't know, 1995. Uh, Internet is just, so it's maybe even a little bit earlier than that. We'll say like 93, okay? Internet is even like a thing, standard thing yet, right? People don't have- uh, I don't think Al Gore invented it yet. Yeah, Al Gore hadn't invented it yet. Sorry. Uh, Yeah. Uh, And you hear about this film coming out. So when you go to the movies, that was like one of the places you could see the full trailers. Then you'd get the TV spots on TV, the shorter little versions, or you would have to wait for the Entertainment Tonight special on mm-hmm. the film where they would maybe, if you were lucky, show the whole trailer and not just little bits of it. But, you know, sometimes you'd get the TV spot and you'd rush back into the room. Like I remember specifically Super Bowl, what would have had to have been 19... 19- 96 because is that the year batman forever came out or was it uh 1995 i want to say 95 but i feel like i always mess it up uh no 1995 it's got to be 95 okay so i remember super bowl what would have been that year 95 i remember i knew they were going to be showing the batman forever trailer so nowadays they premiere trailers at the super bowl still but guess what it's on the internet two seconds later so it doesn't matter or or like or the trailer's like Go to go to go to the website to right. see the whole thing. Go to so YouTube. I so still like, have this memory of like bolting down the hallway at my dad's house because I I could hear it and it, it maybe I'm not sure if it was the first trailer or just one you know uh, a new spot for it. And I remember watching Batman Forever like whoa. So long story short, trailers had a huge impact. Like that's how you decide whether you're going to go see a movie or not. Oh yeah, I, I I remember being so excited probably around. Uh, Rumble in the Bronx yes, time. exactly. That's why I was going to say 1995, but I was like, okay, oh. I guess technically Al Gore invented the internet by then. Maybe some people yeah, yeah, had yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but no, the the Rumble in the Bronx trailer was one of the greatest trailers yes. when, it, when it first appears, like the slow motion shots of Jackie Chan. I remember getting into it like a few minutes in and I put my hand in front of my eyes and like blocking the TV set. I'm like, I'm not watching any more of this trailer. I'm going to this movie. Hey, episode idea we should do our top five action movie trailers oh i'm down yeah that would be a good one lock like maybe make it pre-2000 just like you know so back when movie trailers were you know the real deal uh i love that i do want to say one thing about wesley snipes and his impact on my life there is a chance that i would not be recording this podcast without wesley snipes specifically I had moved out to Los Angeles, bought a car for $140 from my teacher, Mr. Bayon. He was going to sell it to me a dollar for a dollar, but then the alternator went out for $150. He had to, he repaired it the day before I was going to buy it. All I had was $140. I gave it to him uh, to pay for it, you know, because it's the honorable. Anyway, long story short, drive out to LA. There are holes up and down. There's a Plymouth Filari. It was a, re, a recalled car. I loved it. Got to LA. I was going to work in film, going to gonna go to uh, school first i could not get into the film program because it was an impacted major Uh so i had to do creative writing i was doing theater i was doing photography i was going to the library checking out books by directors kurosawa's book just trying to read what they did um and i was i i wasn't gonna say i was gonna give up but i was gonna transfer and leave la Uh, so i was like kind of going on like a little journey like soul searching I ended up going to the Bodhi Tree Bookstore because they had a book by George Fox, who's like one of the original Quakers, right? So I'm like going through, look, because I'd looked in the library, couldn't find it, found it at the bookstore, called ahead, went there. I get in line and in front of me is John Cutter. No, Wesley Snipes. John Cutter is the character. Yeah. Yeah. So it's Wesley Snipes. And I'm like, Wow. I'm a kid. I'm I'm too excited to say anything. So like we we look at each other and like you know I think I I give him that like like slight head nod and he's like you know he, yeah. <laughs> he looks but it it was just like I'm that's the guy that I post passenger fifty seven post like going down like watching Sugar Hill like I loved his movies he was fantastic New Jack City uh, Boiling Point I'd like gone down the rabbit hole on Wesley Snipes and then I like get up to the counter I don't even have like 
all the books I wanted, but I like bought the one book, then I went back in the store. But then that's when I decided like, hey, I'm I'm this close to working in the industry I wanted to work in. Um, like a couple years out from graduating. So long story short, I I had already put in my transfer papers to another school. I had already paid the tuition to the other school. What? I drove up, got the refund from the school. They gave me a refund because it was within like 24 hours. What school? I just, it was uh, up in Santa Barbara, like Brooks Institute of okay. Photography. So I was going to just like pursue photography instead of filmmaking. And so long story short, Graduated, submitted my uh, resume to Martial Law and Walker, Texas Ranger. Uh, Martial Law called me back. You know that story. I ended up like hauling computers for them. I told them I had a car or a car. I didn't tell them it was a Trans Am, so I could only haul two computers at once. So I ended up having to work three days, met the writers, got on the show. So because of him, I got to meet Samuel Hung because I got to work on Sam Samuel's show. You know, you and I interacted. You were wearing the Samuel t-shirt at, uh, at, uh, the movie premiere for the movie uh, re-release for Drunken Master. So yeah, it's basically a lot of it comes back to Wesley Snipes being at that bookstore when I was like, not sure what I wanted to do. And I was ready to leave LA. Holy moly. That is such a cool story that I feel yeah, like so, I have not heard. I don't think I've heard yeah. it period. So that, uh, that that's amazing. Like, so <laughs> and it's, it's, it's so crazy how these chance encounters can shape the trajectory of your life so much. Right. And, and then how the, like people, especially not just celebrities, but anybody, that's why it's always like, you know, be nice to everybody, do what you can, because you never know how the tiniest little action like that can set someone down the path that they're supposed to be on. You know, exactly. he didn't even have to do anything. He was just being Wesley Snipes. It was, he was, yeah. And he was as cool as he appeared in Passage of 57. I just want to be very clear about that. He yeah. was, he, he is like for, for me as I forget how old I was, probably 18, 19, 20. Like he was the real deal. You're like, can I get an autograph? He's like, damn it, Lisa, we don't have time for this. <laughs> Who's so, Lisa? Sorry. She's, uh, she was my wife. <laughs> was? Yeah. There was a robbery. <laughs> I lived. Oh, <laughs> isn't that yeah, the, such the way a he, great lie? Such a great the way he delivers it. Not to unfortunately, she was killed or sadly. He's like, I lived. It's like, damn. But anyway, I, I think it's a great way to end the episode on that awesome story. Once again, people check this film out. Uh, I had to rent it through Amazon Prime. You can rent it through YouTube, uh, Amazon. Prime. Yeah, two ninety nine on YouTube. Yeah, very reasonably priced for a, a great weekend popcorn flick. Definitely take the time to sit down and watch it. Uh, yeah. So final closing thoughts. Eh, I wish I hadn't closed my book. Cause I probably pull a, a, a Charles rain quote out on you, but no, seriously, a lot of fun. I'm glad you picked this film and you know, it's just, uh, it's, it's a great ride. This film. Great talking about it. There you go. Yep. And so to our, uh, listener, Shane, here you go. You finally got your passenger 57 episode. Go Seahawks. I, th I think he owes us for airfare now. Ah, I like it. Okay. Uh, yeah, we'll be back next week. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to please subscribe, download, like, share with your friends. Get the word out there, people. We're growing, but we want to grow faster. We want to get this uh, ball rolling. We're and looking for some gains. That's right. Gains. Okay. I'll see you next week, my man. All right. Take care. Peace.